A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Warning, if you like your UFO literature to confirm what you already know, this is not the book for you. From White Crow Books comes a brand new collection of essays, 14 authors, one goal, to shatter the UFO topic and pick up the pieces in a whole new light. Compiled and edited by Robbie Graham, with a foreword by Professor Diana Walsh-Pasolka, UFOs Reframing the Debate is a cold, hard slap in the face for ufology, delivered with love. UFOs Reframing the Debate. Available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble, The Book Depository, and the iBookstore. For a complete list of contributors and to learn more, visit RobbieGram.uk. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. I recently made a trip to Liverpool, Nova Scotia to speak at the East Coast Paranormal Conference, hosted by the Queens County Museum and the Crossover Paranormal Society. I'd never been this far into Canada in my life, so it was both refreshing and exciting. The conference brought together attendees and speakers in every realm of the paranormal, UFO field, and everything in between. Personally, I was speaking on mysterious triangles throughout the world, starting with the Bermuda Triangle and working my way across oceans and continents to find connections between all of them. The audience seemed to really dig the talk, and I had some amazing conversations with people both right after and throughout the entire conference. But one of the coolest conversations took place the evening after the conference, when several of the speakers and I got together, had some beers, and debriefed on the weekend's events, and some extremely compelling experiences we had during an on-site paranormal investigation at the historically haunted Queens County Museum. In the following roundtable discussion, you'll hear from the other speakers, which included Micah Hanks, Paul Kimball, and Greg Bishop. This discussion was originally broadcast live on Greg Bishop's acclaimed show, Radio Mysterioso, but he gave me permission to share it with all of you right here on Somewhere in the Skies. It was a wide-ranging talk that finds us walking through each of our presentations, how they were received, and our thoughts on the paranormal and all the baggage that comes with such topics. Now, I must warn you, this episode is very little about UFOs, but I could not let this opportunity pass by with such influential researchers from across the country in one room together. So, I hope you enjoy this Paracon Roundtable discussion with Micah, Greg, Paul, and myself. Here it is. And I'm sitting here now with Ryan R. Sprague. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Hakeem Honks, <laughs> otherwise known as Dr. Hanks. Good yeah. evening. 
and Paul Kimball, our host and uh, gracious host and uh, all-around fixer for this weekend. Ace Ghost Hunter. And Ace Ghost Hunter, which um, I guess you didn't want to talk to uh, his friends on the street about. No, it's like I was just going, please, do, they're into ghosts, please don't tell them I do a ghost show. Please don't tell them I do a ghost show. <laughs> so we all um, arrived here last week. I was here on Wednesday. Micah and uh, Ryan were here on Thursday, and we headed up to Liverpool. Friday was the first day, although we did visit, um, where was it, Mahone Bay and Lunenburg. Oak Island. And Oak Island, oh, yes. on Oak Island. That is pretty cool. Uh, we actually got to drive across this little causeway that goes to Oak Island that I guess was built after the island was discovered or something. Is that a later edition? You don't know. Mm-hmm. It's about. It's I don't been know. around for a while. Yeah, it's probably what seventy five hundred yards long. Fifty maybe. Fifty really? Okay. Maybe, maybe fifty to seventy five. Oh okay. Um, Full of potholes. And, yes, and potholes. You'd figure <laughs> with all the money that was coming in from that stupid TV show, they could fix the potholes. But no. Uh, it was kind of amazing because that um, this is, has a latency, just like Mike was warning me about. No. <laughs> um, because that facility, Oak Island, is normally closed to the public. Um, there was an interpretive center, it said, that was open. So we drove across, went to the interpretive center, and took a picture in front of a little uh, monument there and did our touristy thing, which was great. Um, and then off to the conference... Um, and that evening we had, I'm not going to go through a litany of what happened at the conference, but... Uh, oh, why not? Litanize. <laughs> Litanize. Please turn to page, you know, uh, to uh, 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 the, the chapter of um, para, Paracon and, and the book of uh, Litany. There we are. Okay, we're on that page now. Okay. Shall uh, we read? Uh, let's see. There was a, a speaker introduction. Paul Kimball did a... Um, talk on uh, the uh, Haunted series, which is coming up on um, in October, is it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. On uh, Eastlink Network in Canada, Correct. which means most of you people listening won't be able to see it. Although you, <laughs> immediately, yeah. but eventually it'll wind its way to you. Will, will you be posting pieces like on uh, Vimeo or, or YouTube or something like that? Not full episodes because uh, the network prohibits that. Oh, okay. But, yeah, well, I already have some clips, some little teaser clips, and as time goes on, uh, you know, I'll post more interesting clips up too. Right. Um, but uh, the series we did years ago, Ghost Cases, which the new one's infinitely better. Ghost Cases is available now. In fact, I think I got you to buy it on Amazon Prime, right, or something. Yes, I did. Because I couldn't up here in Canada, and then you couldn't send it to me. I don't, I don't actually have copies <laughs> of my old series. You haven't seen your own show. I, I broke up with the, my, and he kept everything, so I don't have. So I said, Greg, can you just like download them and send them to me? It's a couple I haven't seen in nine years. Uh, but it's available for free online now, too. There's some sites. So oh, okay. eventually Haunted will wind up in that place, too. All right. Um, and uh, let's see. And then the next day, uh, Ryan did his talk on um, triangles around triangles, the world. We just yes. ate at the triangle. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> synchronistic as well. The old triangle yeah. here in Halifax. Um, and very we fitting. fans of yours. Fans of ours. That was yeah, pretty That's interesting. Right. We were. They're so famous, they saw fans <laughs> at a... Completely un you know unplanned location. You gotta love when that happens. Hello, Sabrina. If you're out there listening, it was really nice to make your acquaintance. And Absolutely. yeah, just goes to show how small the world actually is. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree. We were eating outside, and these people walk by. Look, it's my face. <laughs> they didn't <laughs> say, "Look, it's Paul Kimball." Well, he had his back to the street. So. <laughs> they well, I think they knew you and uh, Ryan from you said like from social media or something. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah I think and listener of the show. Our, our mutual podcast. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And as people know, I'm never on social media, so how could they know me? That's right, true. Exactly. <laughs> but the, the, the undis- I mean, just absolutely most distinct earlobes, of probably in all creation, belong to Paul Kimball. And so she was she was quite enamored with them as you sat with your back to her. She, she did uh, mention that she, a couple times. She was sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> Really, really nice. Sweet lobes, dude. Sweet lobes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I gave a talk on triangles throughout the world. I mean, we we always think of the Bermuda Triangle being the only mysterious place, but I was able to find um, what was it? Five others throughout the world. I know yeah. there's many others as well. I think the only two I knew were Bridgewater and Devil's Triangle, but mm-hmm. you found like a few others. Yeah, the the one of the more interesting ones. I mean, Bridgewater just astounds me. It's fascinating. Why? But, um, just the amount of different things happening there, from yeah. UFO sightings to cryptids to uh, ancient, you know, Native American curses. Everything, everything you could think of going on there. Uh, Massachusetts. Satanic, yeah. 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 Britain Bridgewater's right in the middle of the triangle. Rehoboth, Freetown, and. Uh, some other town, Abington, I believe. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, just a lot of different activity. And they had a lot of cases of um, satanic uh, like sacrifices back in the day as well. Uh, serial killers. It, it's just, it's insane the amount of history to that place. Yeah. yeah I should stop uh, doing this because you can hear the. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to stop the clicking. <laughs> stop it with the clicking. Don't. No Don't click. No more clicking. No more clicking. Clicking. Uh, that's clicking. Unleash the clicking. <laughs> <laughs> Release the clicking. Release the clicking. Yeah, I think the talk went over well. People seem to dig it. You know, triangle, or triangle is something we think of in the past a lot. But um, these events are still happening. So, you know, there is the tragedy this past May in the Bermuda Triangle with a pilot and a businesswoman in New York or two small children. Uh, still missing to this day. The search has been called off, but uh, yeah, just goes to show that no matter how much we look into these things, they uh, they continue, they perpetuate, and uh, the mystery remains. Do you think there's something to the triangle idea, or is it just, yeah, especially the Bermuda Triangle? Yeah. It's kind of like it's a big area of ocean. A lot of people go through there. Right. The, the Bermuda Triangle is one of the most well traveled areas, you know, in the Atlantic. So thousands and thousands of planes go over in ships every day. Nothing happens. Um, so, you know, I, I, I dug a little deep in, or not deep, I dug a little into it at the end of my talk that we do shape these mysteries. We, we find ways to make an area a triangle rather than it actually right. being a triangle uh-huh. and every little town wants to have its own version i think of these things you know so i found that really interesting too it's almost a sociological thing as well oh, yeah. like let's put in a, a some sort of importance to this area well what do we have the bermuda triangle was the first um let's let's build off of that oh we have we have Weird stuff going on here. Oh, there was a plane crash. It's a triangle now. Yeah. 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 So I found that fascinating as well. I do believe we shape, uh, excuse me, I believe the mystery shapes us more than we shape it. Mm. And then you found one also in France. Yep. The Berlay Triangle in France. Uh, Spoke to a gentleman there who lived smack dab in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And when he was a kid, his grandparents used to, when they would be traveling to Paris on vacation, would tell him about all these horrible horrible accidents that happened in the triangle while they were traveling. Oh, we will scare you now. <laughs> That's a way to scare the children. Yeah. Um, we really need interesting you in the triangle unless you behave. <laughs> yeah, that one, um, that one was interesting. It's the most plane crashes to ever happen in a condensed area in France. They hold the record. Um, a lot of UFO activity, a lot 
of the plane crashes there. There were UFO reports around there. So yeah, even uh, back before the UFO uh, modern UFO period. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so that one was very interesting. A lot of people believe there's a lot of electromagnetism that occurs in that area as well. There were a lot of uranium mines. There were uh, volcanoes. There were uh, megaliths found as well. So you do have to wonder. Yeah, yeah. could be a window area. Absolutely. And the last one, which actually would, I, I, that I hadn't heard of, but I had never heard of the one in England. Yeah. The one with the strange British name. Yeah, Wold Newton. The Wold Newton Triangle. The Wold Newton Triangle. And you uh, spoke to a researcher there who you had on video talking about uh, uh, entities. Yeah. Old yeah. He was a little hot. His accent was really thick. I didn't realize it until I started playing the videos. It's a little hard to understand. Um, but another gentleman who lived in the Triangle growing up, the Wolds are very popular in Yorkshire. And uh, this one just happens to be the strangest, the most activity reported. Everything from fairies to ghosts to uh, shapeshifters and even werewolves. Old mm-hmm. stinker, as Micah said. Yeah, the old old stinker myth. Very um, endearing title for that creature. Old stinker. I think so. I'll never yeah. forget that. Somehow he just never quite made it into the annals of the literature like <laughs> Mothman did, but, you know, somehow he's still there. No one could talk to him. The it. myth precedes him. Breath. <laughs> old stinker. <laughs> So yeah, that was a really interesting one too. A lot of history behind that. Again, megaliths in the area. Um, so make of that what you will. But more legend and lore, I think, with something like that than mm-hmm. any actual um, triangle mystery, I would say. And I'm trying to put this mic down for Micah. Or I'm sorry, Hakim, without uh, <laughs> banging it on the table. Just to get it more centralized. Actually, uh, I, I prefer to go by Rick Nedfern. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or, or, There's a or, picture of you in my book. Yeah, Rick Nedfern. When you had longer hair. <laughs> the ponytail days. Yeah, the ponytail days. With, uh, yeah, the leather jacket, yeah. Them and, were the uh, days. And I was such a Beatles fan, too. <laughs> Especially Paul McCartney. McCartney. Yeah, yeah. 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 Paul <laughs> Yeah, it really was. It was good stuff. Micah just put out a, just on the day you gave your talk, put out the new edition of uh, Magic mysticism and the molecule yeah. yes yeah that's that's true in fact with a beautiful new cover and a hundred what 40 extra pages it's about 125 Oof. i think new oh, okay uh, yeah extra pages uh you know what the funny thing is, is it will it will be available for purchase on amazon i think after this weekend so but yeah oh, okay. the actual thing we were we were literally standing in the hotel lobby uh greg and, and ryan and i and i had uh the the actual proof the pdf of the of the print proof that we were looking mm-hmm. at there so um, definitely first time I've been able to go to a conference and be like, hey, guys, guess what? Uh, you know, the new book's going to be coming out, you know, like this weekend. So <laughs> just in time not to have it here for sale. So, <laughs> yeah, you got to love that. So really plan that one well. But, you know, it, it, it was a really good time getting up here. And, um, you know, we, uh, we've, I mean, I think really this has been unique because in addition to the lectures in the conference, I mean, those here present have spent several days traveling around and Paul being our tour guide and, taking us around. I mean, I've enjoyed this as much as uh, anything for the sightseeing and the places we went, like Oak Island, you said. But, uh, yeah, as far as the magic mysticism, the molecule thing goes, it's, uh, you know, an old book, seven years old now, new edition with some new experiences, uh, you know, a full source citation job where we've gone through all the sources are now uh, in-text citations along with 
uh, complete bibliography and new expanded index. Uh, so um, and, and notes on every chapter. So the idea is to really I want to play up the uh, the anthropological wonder of mystical experience, altered states of consciousness. You ever had anything like that happen, guys? I mean, anyone here ever experienced an altered state of consciousness? Every time I go to Arby's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. High point of the trip. Got to take these guys to the Bridgewater Arby's. Yeah, the Bridgewater Arby's. Or I thought it was the Arby's Triangle. Huh? Yeah, the Arby's Triangle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Bilgewater. That's right. Yeah, it was a damn good Reuben, too, I will say. Yeah. It really was. But, uh, yeah, you know, the uh, the altered states, I mean, actually happened in a lot of different ways. Uh, have you? Uh, yeah, I absolutely have. In fact, something I was going to tell you guys. So, but uh, all naturally, man. All naturally, yeah. No I'm, DMT I'm, I'm not involved. fully straight edge, but gosh, I guess I'm getting old and boring because I don't drink as much, uh, you know, as I used to. I certainly don't do the drugs. Uh, I kind of got on. Well, no, there's one thing I'm absolutely addicted to, and that's black coffee. I love my black coffee scrying session every morning. You know, yeah, doing, doing <laughs> the beer gazing. But that, all kidding aside, if you're sitting there with your, you know, your coffee, it helps if it's black coffee because then you got a dark yeah. reflective surface. Uh, I will actually, all kidding aside, do that. I will take a, my, my coffee, and I'll sometimes I'll just be kind of sitting there and meditating. And I know that sounds kind of cliche, but I mean, I also really do like to meditate. I like to do yoga. I like to have a little quiet time in the mornings. And sometimes I'll just, you know, kind of, you know, do a breathing thing, and I'll look into my black coffee um, and stare into that indirect optical depth of the, you know, it's, it's a kind of an illusory experience where you're looking into the black coffee, and you just kind of let your eyes relax. And then let your mind wander. And, yeah, you, you can absolutely scry like that. There was a guy uh, back in the uh, 1890s. I thought it might have been, no, it wasn't, I can't remember his name. But uh, he used to say that he was so good he could scry by looking at the reflection of light off his thumbnail. You know, and for those who aren't familiar with the term, scrying is just mirror gazing. It's the uh, ancient practice of looking into a reflective surface and, and attempting to induce an altered state. But often people will do this for purpose of reading the future or gleaning other information. And, uh, of course, one of the things we emphasized in the lecture was Dr. Raymond Moody's research with the psychomantium, uh, which was the concept of uh, borrowing from an idea he believed the ancient Greeks might have done that was representative of a literal oracle of the dead near Thesprotia in ancient Greece, rather than just a mythic location referenced in you know Homer's writing and uh, other places. I mean, Moody thought it was probably real, and that mirror gazing was what allowed people to speak with apparitions of the dead, and that indeed in therapeutic counseling sessions he did throughout the uh, probably the 80s and 90s mostly, he said that many people uh, would do, engage in this psychomantium, this mirror, variety of mirror gazing experience where they too would see apparitions of deceased loved ones. But um, I always like to point out there that while that may sound really kooky and strange to people, I asked Moody, I said, "Are they? Is he seeing?" I mean, are people seeing ghosts? What's going on? He says, oh, no, 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 I think it's it's really their imagination. This is something about the way that the mind works. But he says what we need to remember is that there is a common experience, you know, innate to human, referenced in all different kinds of cultures and varieties of different literature that describes apparitional experiences with reflective surfaces. You know, I know you guys do a lot in the way of ghost hunting. We did a lot of ghost hunting with Paul over the weekend. You guys ever use the mirrors when you're on location? Only one. We set up camera in a place called Ottawa House in Parsboro. Hmm. Sorry, Cumberland County Museum in Amherst. The most haunted place we had. And we tried to use it different camera angles to see if things, you know, shadow people have been reported kind of thing. So see instead of seeing if you could see them on the wall, if maybe you could trick them and catch them in the mirror and stuff. Uh 
didn't find anything. Lots of other crazy stuff happened. That camera was a bust, though. But other than that, no, never really, never really used the mirror kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, but we definitely had some fun stuff uh, going on there at the uh, yeah. history museum with you. Yeah, uh, especially for Micah and I. I well, I, I mean, I'm sorry, Ryan and I. Uh, Micah probably has experienced some of these things before. I hadn't. You guys have never really done like the the ghost I hunt did, before. I did last year when we went to the theater, the old theater. Uh, what's it called? The Astor Theater in Liverpool. Uh, in Liverpool, we, we did a, a, a ghost hunt there. We really got nothing except for uh, Kelly said she saw a shadow going by one in, in one of the rooms upstairs. I didn't see it, so I didn't get to experience that. But this time, what happened? What 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 what? Uh, yeah, could, like everybody can actually talk about yeah, it. Sure, yeah. I'll take I'll take last. Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, I've been on ghost walks, ghost tours. I've never been on a ghost investigation. Um, and you know, like Paul told us all, it is not like you see on television. Most shows, and things don't just pop out the second you get there. You know, you are waiting around. Um, everything's extremely subjective most of the time. However, there was one moment when we were in the activity room, was it called? The... Is this with the little girl? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. It's the activity room where they keep a lot of their, um, a lot of historical exhibits related to children, actually. Okay. So toys in particular. Right. A lot of old toys from the 19th century in there. Right. So, you know, going in, uh, our host at the museum, Linda, um, told us about this young girl named Lucy, who's been often reported there, and... Uh, that she is missing a toy. She's always looking for a toy. Uh, so we're in this room with Paul and uh, your assistant. I wasn't there, actually. You were not there. I was upstairs in the void, which is an archival, large archival storage okay. area where you can literally turn the lights off and you can't see a thing. That's no, right. Yeah. No light. But I could hear you guys, yep. which is what Ryan's about to tell you is how crazy it is. They were using the ghost box. I was upstairs with two doors between us. I could still hear what they heard through the ghost box. And I went, holy crap. Yeah. Because I was sitting in complete darkness when I heard it. Uh, and then all of your reactions, like, whoa, yeah. uh, kind of thing. So the ghost box. We have a, a machine. A yeah. Can you explain that to us, Paul? I mean, I, I sort of get it. but Sure. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a device that I actually didn't want to get for the series because I thought it was dumb. Because um, I'd seen Ghost Adventures or something use it before. But uh, Holly, my co-host, prevailed upon me to do it. And cool. My brother, who's our production manager, said, look good for television. And so what it does is it cycles through various radio stations and frequencies in whatever area you're in. So down in Liverpool, there's a number of radio stations. And it just cycles through them at different speed rates, AM and FM. You can set it up in all sorts of different ways. And the idea is it's one of these devices, like all of these devices. They're not ghost detectors or anything like that. But they're devices that if there's something out there, the theory is that they can use that to interact with you. So you ask the ghost, like, kind of thing, and then you'll ask the ghost box a question, you know, are you lonely? Are you happy? What's your favorite color? I don't know what yeah. the question is. And, uh, and maybe you'll get a response. And it's a very interactive kind of experience. And as I was telling folks when I was introducing the gear last night, because I kind of get drafted in to be lead one of these ghost tours, you... I've learned you have to commit. You have to sort of go in and say, you know what? Skeptic, not skeptic, believer, doesn't matter. I'm going to open myself up. If there's something here to experience, I'm willing to experience it. You know, bring it on. And the ghost box is one of those ways, you know, can hold it, muffle the sound and go, you know, is there a little girl here kind of thing? And hold it out and see what happens. 
And the guy you had, I think, leading that session, it was a much smaller crowd that day. Yeah, it was like it was four or five of us. Yeah, it was you, me, basically the speakers at the conference, Linda, there was one woman who was a, a guest participant, like a paying customer, because mm-hmm. um, the museum takes the money and uses it for their fun. Last night there were 20 people there, whatever, yeah. so, which yeah. makes it harder. But um, but Dylan Garland, who was a cameraman on my show, director of photography, and eventually got drafted in, so many weird things happened to him. And he was a skeptic when he went in. By the time the first season ended, he was on camera as well as off camera. <laughs> because he just got, when you're there, it drags you in. So you experienced a bit of that. That's the very long-winded lead-up for what happened, because what happened yeah, well, I was mean, really cool. It was pretty cool. I, I, was, I will admit I was very closed off when I first got there. You know, I would say out of the one, two, three, four of us, I'm probably one of them, the less skeptical when it comes to UFOs. Um, I, am, I do lean more on the believer side. However, when it comes to the paranormal, I, I've never experienced that. So I was very skeptical going into it. I was very closed off. But for some reason, when we got in that room, the activity room, something just opened up inside me and I just, I was ready. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what we were walking into. So we get in there, and we're told that it's um, it's been reported that there's a little girl. We're going through the ghost box, and Dylan asks, "Are you are you here?" We get a yes. You know, okay, fine. That's all plain and cool. I get how that could happen. Now, did the yes sound like a little girl, or was it sort of yes kind of thing? It was it was ambiguous. Um, I I couldn't really tell, Um, but I went along with it. I'm like, okay, I get that. I could hear a yes. Um, The next was we didn't hear anything for a little while. Like I said, there's a lot of waiting around with these things, Uh, and then he asked, "Are you scared?" And then we got a yes, like a, a solid yes. So what then kind of voice? it was, again, a little ambiguous. It was a female. That much yeah. I could tell you. Young or old, I couldn't really tell. So at that These point... These are essentially voices coming from a radio. Correct. That, right. uh, that is yeah. scanning. Right. And the idea is not these are not necessarily the voices of the person or whatever, right. but they pick a word out of whatever's going on in the ether and will target that word and send it out to you. Right. Ether so, meaning on the electromagnetic Exactly. Uh, so all these radio signals. Radio so some guy's introducing a Paul McCartney song or some woman's introducing a Rush song or something. Right. And it, they'll pull the yes. You're out. not you're not talking to Richard exactly. Nixon through the radio. No. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great title for a book. Yeah. <laughs> you're not talking to Richard Nixon through the radio. Yeah, That's going to be my next for book. For comparison, those who are familiar with the Transformers film franchise, of course, the character Bumblebee. Uh, <laughs> yes. He, yeah, Bumblebee, that character speaks in the same way where his his vocal processor is busted or something so he taps into yeah. uh, local radio frequencies being earthly terrestrial radio and he speaks through that you know and he'll have a sound bite of John Wayne coming through or he'll right. have a sound bite of a DJ or a song or so the same principle but in a little box that's pretty interesting I gotta remember actually. that <laughs> For description of somebody asked me, how's a ghost box work? I'll just go, Bumblebee in the trance. Exactly. I like <laughs> That's that. how you need to I immediately knew what you were talking about. <laughs> Same so. thing, yeah. Uh, so supposedly so, random, but if it is working in the way it's supposed to be working, it non-randomizes it for the situation. Correct. Um, yeah. Through whatever agency. It sure. might be a spirit or whatever. It might be all of our intentions, but that is the operating principle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So at that point... He asks us to sit down. Let's get on her level. It's clear that she was scared. So we all bend down, sit down, and then 
immediately as we sat down, it really started to pick up. Um, everyone started sort of feeling a coldness um, and whatnot. And I just distinctly remember there was a moment when the ghost box started crying. It was not a voice. It was not a random word thrown through the transmission. It was a young girl crying at least twice, I think it was. Um, just a small whimper and then more of a, an actual cry. Um, at this point, we all started really getting a little freaked out. And that was the moment that really changed the entire experience for me. I, I felt like I had two small hands on the back of my neck, like someone was hugging me. Like from the front, like oh, coming up to me. That. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't say it at the panel. Um, I just wasn't ready. I don't think. <laughs> but they're done that. Yeah, that, that, that same. Yeah. where you don't want to talk about it. You're still trying to process. It. I, I was still trying to process it, and I, I felt. I remember feeling like the fingers on my neck more than anything. Um, the hugging aspect is definitely up for debate but i felt like someone was comforting me i don't know if it was this young girl but then this was the same point i think where you had something happen as well right a few people felt that she ran through the room like there's a rush of wind like she wanted to leave the room at that point yeah and i uh, at one point uh, i think somebody said i think that she thinks there's too many people in here uh, that it's and it's scaring her, and I thought, well, you know, I'll I'll play along, and I left the room. Actually, went out in the other room, and then I came back in and stood like near the entrance, but back in a little alcove, so that I wasn't standing near the rest of the group. And when I heard them saying something went just went past me, I was standing kind of looking at everybody around the corner around a scary mannequin, which the whole was museum full was full of. Yeah. And <laughs> as soon as they said that, and they 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 were kind of looking. I felt, and this is very strange, I felt a tingling sensation, like goosebump sensation, start in the back of my skull, um, my scalp, travel down my neck, down the back, and all the way down to my feet. Uh, I can't explain that. I don't know if it's psychosomatic, but I don't know why I would think that that would be happening to me. And then it happened again uh, a few minutes later. Huh. Uh, not when they said anybody was running through, but it happened again. Very distinct, as if somebody was, you know... Suddenly, I was very cold on the back. Didn't feel cold, but it was like a reaction to cold. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a really strange uh, bit for me. That's never happened to me. I, just, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a certain commonality to some of this. I recall when I was a child, and again, you know, I do try to look at all this stuff as uh, one of two things. Maybe there are real, actual phenomena that occur, and and this is something ghostly, uh, as it appears to be, or is is popular popularly conceived of. Um, the way I look at, for instance, the ghost box, uh, and this is my own interpretation, but I mean, I, I see that as being a, and I referred to it over the weekend a couple of times as a subjective experience where really what you hear is is your own interpretation. But nonetheless, I was fascinated by the idea of taking that device, or and as I proposed to Paul, you know, take like four of them and take four individuals. Each person sits down and they start asking questions. Um, those questions are probably going to be, unless there's any kind of like, you know, planning in, in terms of what questions are asked. Uh, those questions are going to be probably uh, influenced by the desires of or the motives of the individual asking. But let's say that four individuals, four of those Scrying boxes, with a ghost box. is a different mm -hmm. kind of scrying. You know, or it would be more like using a, a Ouija board, actually. Right, you know, right. You know, it's, it's a similar concept where really... Well, that's turning it... I was thinking of turning yeah. it inward, because usually you're listening for voice. Right. What about asking questions about yourself? Yeah, well, exactly. I'm sure it's been used that way. If one were to do this, you know, write down. But what I'd love to see is then have four different narratives that result from a conversation with a ghost box. Uh, and see what the 
information in the narratives in terms of the questions people ask and then the information that they get back, right. uh, see if there's any commonality. Now, with Ryan's experience where he's talking about, again, um, this this sensation he likens to hands on the back of his neck. I remember as a child, though, when my uh, dad's father died. I mean, you know, I was a kid, and that was the first time I had to really kind of experience the death of a immediate family member, and that mm-hmm. really, you know, screwed with me and the whole family. Um, I was thinking about this just just the other day. My um, uh, father coming home, and he was so calm about it, and had to just say, hey, guys, you know, Papa died today. Uh, of course, he's coping with the pain of, you know, the loss of his own father. And meanwhile, my little brother and I are just, I mean, we're, I was in third grade or maybe fourth grade, and so I was just like, ah! you know, we all just started, like, you know, freaking out. And I remember standing in there, and everybody's crying and everything. But I... Yeah, same thing, Ryan. I mean, to me, in my little child mind, I felt, you know, great big hands resting exactly like you described, right there, as though comforting. You know, which, again, if we compare that to these altered states, I think it's fascinating that, again, there's a certain commonality to these experiences and the ways that people describe them. And, and whatever the source of that, again, it's the commonality of the experience. What purpose does that serve? Is it a, is it a coping mechanism? Is it an actual interaction with something is it yeah is it maybe a bit of both does it come from within the mind is it an external reality that we interact with through perhaps a altered state i don't know but you know those are fascinating experiences due to the commonality and yeah yeah, there was certainly a group altered state while we were doing this. Yeah, it, yeah. You go into a room. You know, this is the cool part is you know you, you dim the lights and so you've got a dark environment. It really helped to have the mannequins all around the history museum. I think that yeah. I felt like I was uh, in an Eccleston era Doctor Who episode. You know, <laughs> with the mannequins coming to life and chasing after us. But it definitely is a altering kind of an experience with the darker the, there's an element of sensory deprivation to that mm-hmm. yeah. which is conducive to a little anxiety which makes you a little more on edge and you have weird things happen but also you maybe are literally perceiving your environment a little differently maybe maybe that does actually open the mind to certain modes of perception that you know in our everyday waking awareness we, we aren't you know uh, they are not availed to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's another thing I noticed that the people are saying, oh, it's cold over here. This is a cold area. And I'd go over there and it's like, mm, no, it's not. But um, at one point, uh, Dylan was walking away. He said, yeah, it is cold there. And I walked behind him. It was like I walked through a wall of air-conditioned air. Right. Just in his wake. That, yeah. Well, poor Dylan, because I <laughs> joked. You guys were there when I gave my thing. I, I even put him up on stage with me once. I joked about how I tormented him during Haunted, and so did Holly, and he gets sucked into this world we live in. But one of the things that has consistently happened to me over the years, and I I tell folks, I think if there's something out there, it interacts with us in different ways that might be particular to us, so it finds something, and it's kind of your thing. Um, So it's like when some people play basketball, they're good at layups, some people are good passers, some people are good at jump shots. You know, me, it's cold. And so Dylan has developed, because he... He stuck with me. This cold started hitting him. I've, I saw him in a couple episodes we filmed. The shivers down the spine. Like, he was frightened. You could see him. He was just saying, like, I don't know what's happening to me. And we'd hold temperature gauges next to him. Like, your temperature's the same. Right here next to your hand is the room temperature. There's nothing. We None of us feel cold. And he'd stand in the middle of the room. It's actually one of the more frightening scenes that, in the whole series. When he's And you see this guy who went in as a skeptic. Like, this is a gig. You know, Paul's a friend, and he's paying me to do this. Cool, to be a camera guy. And this is now... If I had a buck for every time he said, this is not what I signed up for. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'd have enough for... He said it again this weekend. Yeah, he's... Again, it's like, this is not what I kind of signed up for. But it opened his mind to all the possibilities. He never met Mac Tonys. 
But um, so he had no real understanding of when we did the Queens County Museum episode. I tried to conjure Mac Tony's long story, um, but Mac and I. Uh, before he died, we went for a long drive here in Halifax, and we kind of joked that you know we thought it'd be 50 years in the future. But whichever one of us went first, hey, come back and you know show the other one. Mm. So when I was doing this series this summer, I finally decided there was this room, the void upstairs in the museum that has all these mannequins, like Greg said, and uh, without heads. So I said, well, this is cool. I had Rear Admiral Zorgrod at the time, you know, the stuffed duck that Mac knew and loved as well as as much as I do. <laughs> he was here tonight. And I had all these mannequins, and I said, well, I'm never going to try and call down the spirit of Mac Tony's. This is cool. Mannequins, the stuffed duck, done. And as soon as I did that, um, and I thought, you know, the duck would move as a trigger object. I hear Holly downstairs going, Paul, are you doing anything up there right now? And I went, uh, yeah, I'm sort of doing something. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I, I, I felt bad. I said, ah, she knew Mac. And it's like, I'm kind of trying to call down the spirit of Mac Tony's, which I thought sounded lame when I said it. And she, I heard this pause. And it's like, you need to come down here now. So I go down, and they're sitting in the activity room, which is where this thing Brian was talking about happened. And there's our REM pod, and the, which is a device that if you walk by it, it lights up kind of thing. It reacts to movements by it, and the idea is if a ghost moves by it, it'll bloop, 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 bloop. But there is a, a temperature change light on it as well, which will go red. It'll bleep red if it go if it's going up, and it'll bleep blue if it's going down. The one thing it's not supposed to do is stay on one of those colors consistently, or have one of those colors seemingly interact with you if you're asking it questions. Long story short, the color was blue. Mac or Holly was aware that blue was Mac's color. He called his blog the post-human blues, yeah. and so we sat down, and she said. You were trying to call down Mac Tony's, uh, Tony's. As soon as you were doing that, this thing blew, and it's been blue, you know, like for the last minute or two. It's just not moving. It's staying on yeah, blue. and it should only ever blink. Right. Just so we, you know, we turned second. it off. We pulled the batteries out. We checked everything, turned it back on. Mm, there goes the blue again. Should not be doing that. So we sat down, asked, started asking some questions. And I went, if you're familiar with Star Trek, there's an episode in the original series where Captain Christopher Pike, because he's burned in a terrible accident, can only answer is like little buttons, uh, lights bleep, and a sound. One bleep for yes, two bleeps if no. And Kirk's, you know, they ask him questions that way. So I said, cool, okay. One beep, one flash for yes, two flashes for no. And we went through that all back then. It'll be on television. Funny thing. So last night, and Ryan was part of this. Greg, you came in and were part of it. Dylan the was night there. before last. Oh, sorry, the night before last. Same night as the Lucy thing, night of high activity. I gone, same room. I had gone back up in the void, almost the same process. Mannequins are still there. While all they're they're doing this Lucy thing up there, I go, look, Mac, I'm going to try again. If you're here. And they left the activity room. I walked in alone with the REM pod, set it down, turned it on, waited a couple minutes. I said, Mac, if you're out there, come on, let, like, come on in, you know, because some of your other friends are here tonight, like Greg and Brian, people who knew you, and or, or at least if they didn't know you, liked your work and respected you and boom on comes the blue light so i immediately yell for dylan who was part of the previous experience and i'm like come Dil you gotta get in here and he walks in and dylan's first can i swear on your show of course i swear you're swearing Dylan's away. first reaction is he walks around the corner and goes holy fuck because he the only time this device had done this in the 13 episodes we've used it or when we've tested it here was when I did the Mac Tony's thing in this location. Here it is doing it again. So I think Ryan was the next one in. Yeah, well, Dylan and I, we heard something when we were in another room, and he and I immediately shot up, and we were like, 
did you hear that? I was like, yeah. And he and I ran out, and right. that's when we found you oh, right, in the right. room. I think it, 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 you know, you might have heard, for all I know, me. It, it might have been you. Yeah. Yelling at him. That's uh, when we ran in, yeah. So I explained this to you. I kind of go through the history of it briefly, and I and the lights still on. I go, look, here's what I'm going to do. One for yes, two for no. Like, I need you to start bleeping, like moving. Yeah. And then the light, you know, little pause, and then the light starts off and on. And long story short, folks, don't want to monopolize the conversation. I eventually got around to asking it a question. And the question was, is that you, Mac, and are you fucking with me? Poop. And as soon as I, not even done with the me, yeah. it went bleep yes after having been solid blue. And it's like, we're all, whoa. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Kind of thing. I, I saw that one, actually. Yeah. And, you know, then there was some more stuff. And uh, at one point, then we heard a sound from upstairs in the void area where the mannequins were. Uh, where there should be no movement, no sounds at all. There was nobody up there. Like, something was moved, kind yeah, of thing. During the Lucy thing, we kept hearing upstairs. Yeah. Uh, we kept hearing knocks and bangs. Yeah. yeah. I don't think you were up there then. Uh, I was. Oh, Depends okay. on which section of the void you had heard it from. Oh, okay. Uh, if it was coming no, maybe right was over you. your head, it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. If it was coming from further down... It was coming from different places. Oh. Well, some of it might have been... Some was I, above us, some was over here. Well, it wouldn't have been... Above you, it wouldn't have been me because I was stationary for the whole thing down in the corner of the right. room. Uh, anyway. So, yeah, you know, that to me, the Lucy thing I wasn't there for, I could just hear you guys. But to be able to go back and to replicate an experience, um, whatever it was, in the same place with different people... No Holly this time. She's hiking the Inca Trail. But now it's Ryan and Greg and Dylan and I are the common denominators here. But different people come in and, you know, have the same thing sort of happen. Freaky. I don't know if it was Mac Tony's. I just know that I, I wouldn't write that possibility off because it's the kind of thing that he would that he would do uh, if he had the ability to do it, if he was out there in the ether. Well, what's really interesting about it is that you were in a unique position to have had that talk with Mac. Well, you know, if one of us goes first... And I tell you, you know, like literature as it relates to, uh, you know, ghostly manifestations and, you know, the spiritual side of, you know, nature, 
Uh, it's rife with stories like that where somebody says, you know, if, if I'm the first one to go, I'm going to try and reach out and I'm going to contact you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, I think, had really uh, sought to, well, actually, he believed uh, famously in spiritual spiritualism and, of course, you know, the idea of ghosts and the afterlife. And his wife, of course, had been a bit of a medium. Harry Houdini is the one who had hoped to communicate with his mother and worked with Arthur Conan Doyle and his wife and was just not impressed with you know, mediumship, it really drove him to skepticism. But there Well, then he made the same deal with his wife. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there are, yeah, he, yeah, he did. And um, there are the, uh, there was another great story, for instance, that, uh, you know, for instance, what was his name? Jack, um, he was a country singer, and the na- his name slips my mind just, it was Jack, uh, oh gosh, uh, I have to think of it, but Jim Harrell, the podcaster Jim Harrell's the guy that told me this story. Uh, this It's just one of the most interesting stories about a guy who, um, Again, apparently was able to uh, reach across from beyond and and years later uh, communicates to a friend a very specific message. Uh, the drummer is a rummer and he can't keep the beat. Uh, uh, yeah, which, I mean, that again, I have to look that story up and everything, but, you know, for the proper context. But, again, the, the only point I'm making is that you, have, uh, Paul, were in that very unusual experience or in, or in that, that unique position to be able to have that talk with Mac, and then you're able to, well... You know, carry out an experiment like that. That makes it all the more meaningful to me, and also, again, kind of, I don't know if it justifies the idea that, you know, it was Mac, but it definitely puts it, you know, kind of lays the groundwork for a unique situation that could involve that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we went upstairs, and I was just going to say, folks can go to the Radio Mysterioso Facebook page. I'm posting a picture now of what you're, I think, about to describe. Yeah, we, uh, I'll let Paul post that, but we went upstairs, Dylan and Paul and I took the What's it called? A REM pod? Yeah, the REM pod, which is ironic because Max Figger band was not the Smiths. Was R-E-M. I love the Smiths, but it was REM. <laughs> so the, rem, the name of this device is actually the yeah. REM pod. R-E-M hyphen P-O-D. Yeah. Yeah. I can just see him then. Oh, that one. <laughs> yes. So we went upstairs, um, and we're right next to the mannequins. Yep. And, and nothing's going on with the thing. And, and then Dylan decides. And there's a taller one that's standing up. Yeah, and it's it's above all the other ones, so it's uh, it's our level, yeah, yeah, mannequin, and it has no head, so above the shoulders, it's just you'll see in the photo on the Radio Mysterioso Facebook page, it's just like you could put something on that if you wanted to instead of a head, and I had never thought to do this, but that's why doing this with other people is cool. You can get different ideas. Let's try this. Mm-hmm. I thought it was was it you that suggested this or Dylan? Uh, Dylan just did it. Oh right, okay. Um, put the REM pod on where the head should have been of the mannequin. Yeah, he just went and put it over there, and I was thinking, that's a good idea. And as <laughs> soon as he put it on top of the thing, the light came on. I don't think there was any sound, though. No, no. Um, it was playing Scottish bagpipe yeah, tunes earlier, which is a, I don't want, a totally different story. But the <laughs> Mac thing, as soon as he put on it, had been off. We turned it off. We walked away. We kind of closed that session out, said goodbye to Mac. But then Dylan said, look, let's go up, you know, we all thought, let's go up into the void. And I wanted to show Greg the mannequins, too. The void is the attic. Right, which if you clo- if you turn the lights off, because there's no external source of light, there's, there's not even a security light up there, um, it is a void. You can't, you really can't see, so you have to take a flashlight if you want light. And uh, plus it's a cool name, it sounds better than the archival attic or whatever. <laughs> So uh, so as soon as he put it, though, on the, uh, the REM pod on top of the mannequin on this head, uh, the blue light came on. And it's like, um, for Americans, like 80 degrees up there. Yes. So this is the blue light that indicates a temperature drop. And there was no temperature drop. It was actually significantly hotter up in the attic than it was down in the 
just the ambient temperature down on the first floor. So, mm. so it stayed on. He took it off the mannequin, and I believe it turned off. Yes. Leaving the thing on, he put it back on the mannequin in this hot attic, and it went back on again. Yeah. Uh, then we went, you know, we tired of this and went downstairs. As we're going downstairs, the thing, uh, I believe it blinked red when we were in the, in the, uh, coming down the stairs. And when we got out of the attic into the cooler lower room, it blinked blue again. Right. And it like it's properly. supposed to. Sure. We moved away from, let's call it the Mac Tony zone up in the, in the void. And then blinks red because, yes, there's a temperature rise to the normal ambient temperature. And when we go back downstairs, there's a bit of a cooling. It's cooler. It blinked blue. That's how it's supposed to behave. And, and that's great. And so Dylan and I went in the second night, that last night, and we said, look, let's try this one more time just as we're leaving. Set it up in the activity room. And we said, you know what? We, both of us said, we kind of hope nothing happens. Because if something happens, the same thing happens again, maybe, I, we have no idea what it is, but maybe this is just something about this room. We don't know. And so we sat down, did the nothing, nothing happened. And we sort of said, thanks, Mac, uh, because by having nothing happen this time, it helped confirm that what happened the other two times was maybe something anomalous and special, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to something that just happened because you do it in this place. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of cool, too. Sometimes when nothing happens, it's actually better than when something happens. Oh, sure, yeah, because you may have transient phenomena, yeah. which is what you hope for, not something that's going to be a consistent feature, electromagnetic or otherwise, that's relative to that environment. That's one of the big things, you know. I mean, I remember for years I did a lot of this stuff, and it's very true. I got a little jaded uh, because we'd go in somebody's house, and I'd be watching, uh, you know, I'm going to put the air quotes for this one, ghost hunters, you know, with EMF detectors walking around, and they'll they'll be walking in front of a wall saying, my gosh, look at this. We're getting so many readings right here. Something about this area. Someone died right here on the other side of the wall. There's a big screen TV. <laughs> yeah. You know? And you got a really uh, faulty wiring in old homes. That was a, a, a real fun gag. And, yeah, I, I got extremely skeptical and and jaded, uh, and, and I even walked into the experiences this weekend with a bit of that attitude myself, although I'm never uh, just a down player. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see these kind of things, and, and plus, uh, you know, again, not just to, you know, blow smoke up somebody's rear end, but I mean, I also know the character of, of Paul, uh, you know, and I know, you know, the merit of your thought and your, you know, your, um, I think, frankly, your thoughtfulness is, is applied to the unexplained, so if Paul says, hey, I'm going to be doing a TV show about ghost hunting, the first thing I said to him, I said, well, can I watch that in America? I would actually watch a show yeah. if I know Paul Kimball's involved because I know the way that, you know, his, his approach is going to probably, uh, you know, be. And it's exactly as I thought it would be. It's not spooky music and, you know, cheap scares. It's this, we filmed what we went in there and what we did. So last night, I mean, honestly, I was actually kind of impressed by a few things that happened, which is very atypical for me in those experiences. And at one point, Paul is sitting with the, with the ghost box and actually said, is there somebody else in this room that you would like to talk to, Ryan or Greg or somebody? And we all heard it go, Micah. <laughs> and when I heard it, did you see what I did? I hear it, and I'm like, <laughs> and everybody else is like, that was Micah. And there were like clearly Micah. 12 people sitting around the table, and every head went up and down like, you know, this is yes. all the confirmation advice if you want. Everybody heard Micah. Everybody. Yeah. I mean, I did too, and I can't, you know, no, no amount of skepticism can rule that out. We were all in agreement. It said Micah. <laughs> so I go sit down and everything. And, and beyond that, it wasn't all that eventful. It was almost like, again, like this prankster-ish kind of, okay, who's the most skeptical? Get Micah over here, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that's what's not only fun but so interesting to me about these experiences is that there is this almost not maybe antagonism but like you're describing with the, the, the going into the tone zone, we'll call it maybe. Sure. You know, the, uh, the, that almost that kind of playful interaction. 
Yeah, and you know, it's important. We debunk some stuff, too. Oh, yeah. So last night there was a lady there, and we gave her uh, our flare gun, which if you point it at a particular spot or person, it'll give you the surface temperature of whatever that thing is. And, and a so, graphic representation and, sure, of and it. And a pictorial representation, like a... Yeah, and then it shows you the temperatures right. of objects that it's pointed at. So yeah, if you point it at a wall and the whole wall is uh, is is reddish because it's hot, and then a sh- the shape of what looks to be a, a blue person shows up, well, that might be interesting if you ever see something like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially Holly, in a completely dark room. Right, right. Holly yeah. might have once. I haven't. But this lady's pointing it up at the ceiling, and it's towards the end of the night. And Greg and I walk in. It's on the. Uh, they're on this ship, this replica of a privateering ship. And she's and Linda Rafius comes and says, Polly, come over here, take a look at this. And she's pointing it up, and sure enough, there it is. And amidst the red, there's this giant glowing orange ball. And, okay, interesting. And then she says, and yeah, there's another one right over here. And it moves. And as she's doing this, I'm watching her move her hand. I go, no, it's, it's like bad UFO footage. It, it's not moving. <laughs> You're moving the camera. This is a stationary object. But so she says, well, what do you think that is? And I'm looking around and go, hmm. And I start pointing it at the ceiling fans. And I go, to myself, I say, I think that's probably the motor in the center of the ceiling fan. But you know what? There's another ceiling fan at the far end of the room. I'll walk down there. And I think Greg, I ran into Greg down there. I said, or we walked down together. Yeah. Pointed it up. Sure enough, there it is again. So as we're walking back, I, we both agree it's like, yeah, it's the same It's the same thing. But I turned to Greg and I said, look, I'm not going to tell them that. I don't want to be the killjoy at the party. And then two seconds later, I go, ah, fuck it, I'm going to tell them. <laughs> yeah. you know, part and of, I said, yes, you should tell yes, them. Yes, part of this in the show. Nicely. I, yes, in the show, we would definitely do that. But here I didn't, you know, it's a group thing and everyone's having a good time. But part of having a good time, and as I tried to explain to her on the boat, is if you can rule things out and say this isn't anything, you know, anomalous then like nine times out of ten or 99 times out of a hundred you can do that which makes the one time that you can't honest and special and she didn't see it that way so she you know there was there wasn't an argument but there was a discussion where she said well no I, I think you're wrong and I'm trying to explain it and show her and she just wouldn't budge and so I finally said well you know um, we see that folks people see things differently and we all have different interpretations I was being Canadian I was being as polite as I could <laughs> And uh, what did she, she say, Greg? She had some she had something about well, you have to agree to disagree yeah. because I don't I don't think that's I don't <laughs> think it's the fans. Yeah. Even though she she was pointing it right at the fan, I know, yeah. and the other fan. Yeah, I think that's the the challenge we all face too. You know, I, let's take for instance the Fox Mulder poster. I want to believe all of us in this room. I think want to oh, believe yeah. in all of this stuff. Everything we talked about this weekend, our main focus of UFOs, some of us, we want to believe, but we don't need to believe. Yeah. You know, we, we find, like you said, more of an excitement in maybe debunking or just finding a prosaic or conventional explanation for things. Oh, yeah. There's going to really always be the excitement in it. And it's just kind of like, okay, I can put that one away and Find start looking away. for things. That was, that was the whole point of Project Beta. It was like, you're trying to debunk a drama. It's like, no. Yeah. Let's get rid of the things that we know are fake so we can keep concentrating yeah. on things that aren't and find out what those might Would, be. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful contrast to being a person who is skeptical in the sense that we go into this knowing that there's absolutely nothing outside the range of the average human experience and nothing that can be easily explained within that context. And therefore, we pre, you know we presume that whatever we study... There's a logical explanation, and therefore we will, no matter what, 100% of the time debunk it. I'm skeptical of that kind of skepticism because there is an obvious innate bias to it. You know, a good skeptic, on the other hand, like you're describing, Greg, 
let's go into this. Let's absolutely try to be skeptical. Let's be willing to rule out all that can be ruled out and explained, but be open to the possibility that some things might not fit uh, the simple designation of, of, of prosaic. There are perhaps things, uh, you yeah. know, and again, whether those things come from within or they're indeed in the environment, whatever that is, there is an experience to be had and studied there. Yeah, and as Paul said at the end of the, uh, we had a very uh, fruitful and fun speakers panel at the end of the conference today. As Paul said at the end, uh, you have to be willing to say, I don't know. Yeah. But always have, have that in your back pocket. I don't know. And if people aren't satisfied with that, tough. Well, I mean, to be you're fair, doing you're not doing it for other people. You're doing it for yourself. Greg always mm-hmm. likes to not take credit, but be, to be fair, Greg said that fifty times during his lecture. <laughs> it's important <laughs> to stress. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. It's these are. So I was just borrowing from Greg, yeah. um, but that was essential. And you know, Greg hasn't talked about his lecture, which was on today, where he yeah. talked, you know, sort of about Roswell. The ent- the entree was Roswell's seventieth, and he gave a brief recap, ten minutes or so, of Roswell, and then he moved into all sorts of other theories and his co-creation hypothesis and stuff, lacing it with I don't know, but you know, kind of thing, or we yeah. don't know. And uh, he asked me earlier tonight uh, whether he thought it was well received, and I said, yeah, I thought it was well received. It was well received by the three guys sitting in the room with him here, anyway. Oh, yeah. And I saw Linda Rafe. Who's well, they already head. they already know. I mean, no, it's, people were nodding. I, their heads. I'm not trying to do this. I I don't want it to. It's like I want everybody to have fun and know exactly what's going on. No, I want a majority of people to follow what I'm saying. There's a few people that don't. I can't control that. But if most of the people in the room are engaged and interested and understand more importantly what i'm saying that's what's important to me because when i did give the co-creation talk the first couple times people were kind of complaining and saying what are you trying to say all this is made up i said no not at all which is i I think two yeah (laughs) two or three times during the talk i did say i must emphasize i am not saying people are making things up or hallucinating that is not what i'm saying at all I really do think there's a source to these things, and we have to find out what that is. But we have to get out of our own way. Yeah, but you know, that, again, that was the message of the whole mm-hmm. thing. After I talked about Roswell, because Roswell was basically, this is where we came from. Here's Kenneth Arnold. That's where ufology came from. Roswell has turned into the kind of thing that we will probably never figure out, and we shouldn't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, move on to other things. Move on to the, what is important, which is what is the what causes UFO reports. I mean, that probably should be the next T-shirt I print up. (laughs) I mean, a couple of things, you know, with regard to that. Again, unfortunately, and I'm not trying to marginalize anybody or pick on anybody, but I mean, I think Oh, go ahead. Okay. Well, there's often often a lot of, like, pretty simplistic thinking. And, uh, again, to your credit, when you talk about that co-creation, I'm very much a proponent of that kind of an idea, that there is some element of human perception. And almost, again, you know, unfortunately, it kind of became what I would call uh, paranormal porn, the idea of there's just this big, overt, beautiful, gorgeous thing right in your face, you know, and that's going to be the unexplained. Real experiences with the unexplained are often far more subtle. It's not going to be this full-bodied apparition standing right in front of us. You know, we're all here standing on end. I mean, often often if you go into, like, an environment and experience something haunting, it's much more subtle. Mm-hmm. A UFO sighting might just be, you know, a bright light, but something that behaves unlike any other kind of aircraft. It's not going to be usually a saucer hovering over you with aliens looking out the window and, you know, these kind of experiences, even the little synchronicities, they're, they're only meaningful often to the person who experiences them. And many say that there's absolutely nothing to that. But I sometimes think that, sure, there are, there are synchronicities that are just novel. And then there are some that are so damned profound in the way that they happen, the, you know, the timing 
you know, there's a, a distinctive timing to the synchronicity experience that really is how one can gauge the importance of it, the efficacy of it, I guess, you know, in terms of its relationship. Yeah, and it, and it's a message to you. Exactly. It's not for other people. But see, that's the thing is, however you want to choose to look at it, all, all of the above, you know, the, uh, the idea that through the filter of human perception and through the, the known senses, not just the, the five primary senses. I mean, we've got, everybody talks about a sixth sense. Heck, we've got... 20 plus senses, you know, to, you, again, the uh, b- b- ability to uh, perceive heat and cold, pressure, uh, you know, a lot of these kinds of, of, of things that are the lesser senses. But I mean, we react to our environments in a variety of ways. And I think that sometimes outside the range of the senses, or perhaps even within the context of sensory awareness in ways that we are not overtly aware of, um, but nonetheless capable of perceiving the idea that there's an interrelationship between some stimuli and the human consciousness. Mm-hmm. And when Jacques Vallée talks about things like control mechanisms, again, it's this simplistic kind of, oh, well, he's saying that they're down here trying to teach us and control us. No, what he's saying is that there may be a variety of stimuli that interact with the human consciousness in ways that are, again, what we would call anomalous or foreign to the average everyday experience. which This is what always brings me back to altered states of consciousness, but I love the co-creation idea because of that. And yeah. people... Sadly, if they think of it as you're saying that they make this up or that they're hallucinating, that is a failure to understand the concept. Yeah, which is why I try to un- uh, explain it very yeah. carefully and in a way that I can understand it so that I know that other people can. Because when I first think of these things, I can't understand what the hell I'm talking Often about. you can't, yeah, because you're, you're dealing with an alien concept. But that's yeah. the thing. You know, if we want to understand this kind of stuff, that's one thing. I do like gathering data. And, you know, this is a gripe I've had about, you know, organizations like MUFON for years, the gathering data. Uh, a lot of these ghost shows, you know, even if it's more entertainment, they still probably at times get some, what would be arguably some interesting data. But you get to a point where you have to get interpretive and you have to start looking at the data and trying to look for, you know, patterns, correlations, try to understand, well, what are we doing with the, the, the data that we gather? How is this data applied in a way that we can you know, constructively use in the future to help us learn new things so that we build a sort of a repertoire, a tool bag from which we can draw and we know, okay, this phenomenon or this circumstance or this idea or this setting, all these things, we know these factors about this. And from that, we can expect this and we can go about this in a methodological uh, way that we continue to learn in a cumulative way. You know, so, yeah, I think it's it's important to be able to build off of things and have these interpretive concepts. And, uh, you know, again, co-creation to me probably says your idea of the co-creation aspect says more about the nature of the way that the mind perceives unusual or anomalous stimuli than uh, a lot of what we read about in the ghost and UFO books and things like yeah, that. Yeah, well, I think it, apply, it can apply across the board to different things. Maybe less so with something like uh, the paranormal or ghost hunting or even um, cryptozoology. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a, as much of an interaction like with, with the Bigfoot. It is, but it's in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, a UFO thing is more ephemeral and more open to interpretation and open to crazy things like what is actually appearing there and does our perception of it change it mm-hmm. physically mm-hmm. for other people? Yeah. Are we? If there's five people in a room and something happens, something paranormal, does that mean we're all together co-creating whatever that thing is in addition to whatever the thing is where it's coming from that might have been an operant um issue in what happened this weekend at the at the museum oh i'm sure you know so i'm thinking about that while all this is happening too i also had this weird thing where i kept stepping away from everything and looking in the corners and looking behind us and looking where nobody was looking (laughs) just to see what would happen i didn't see anything but I thought that would be, you know, something interesting. Like if I ever have a UFO sighting and there's other people around me, 
Everybody's pointing and looking. I'm going to do my damnedest to turn around and look the other way. <laughs> the other this, this is an idea so that Chris guys, O'Brien has, actually. While you guys are dangling the cosmic carrot, what are you doing behind me? Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> cosmic yo-yo. Yeah. Ah, I had the cosmic... Yo-yo. See, that was, yes. my, that was my one tool that I brought with me into the, into the ghostly environment. I brought... The cosmic the gravitational uh, <laughs> wave detector. That's right. I, I said, guys, you know, and everybody's looking at you. Were you able to get any data? Uh, yeah, yeah. There, there were no gravity anomalies in the uh, environment. <laughs> okay. All right. That's right. what isn't there. <laughs> so I had my patented, uh, I always carry this magnifying glass around with me. I didn't see that the whole weekend. Yeah, I, I always keep, you know, it is funny. These are s- simple tools, and a lot of the time they're more for comedic effect. But, you know, I love to carry a pack of playing cards. You know, actually a... a uh, Magnifying glass is, is great for on the spot analysis of and of, burning uh, ants and burning ants oh. and melting uh, <laughs> melting little toy soldiers and things like that. The, the yo-yo is purely for yes. amusement. Take Paul's toys away. I'm taking my yeah. toys away now. Yeah, <laughs> Greg, I think something else that's interesting is the theory, the co-creation theory, um, is that opening up that consciousness. It when we're dealing with the UFO phenomenon, what you're doing really helps to move away from the ET hypothesis in some ways. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting because that's a lot of what we talked about at this panel yeah. as well is I guess not not getting rid of the ET hypothesis. No, no, but looking at the things that are possibly more interesting and fruitful. Exactly. Because I people said, you know, well, what's wrong with the ETH? I said, well, it's like running on a hamster wheel. We yeah. haven't gotten anywhere in 70 years running on that hamster wheel. Yeah. I suppose it's an interesting, colorful, fun hamster wheel, but I don't think it's, personally, I don't think it's gotten us very far. It it's could limiting. be the answer, but it's not really that interesting to me. Yeah. That's the other thing I emphasize. Like, what... Um, people are saying, what do you think the ufology is doing? Well, how do you think it's changing? What do you think is going to happen? Where do you think it should go? And I, it's like, I've got ideas about that, but mostly all I care about is what I care about. Hmm. And I know that sounds selfish, but what, you know, <laughs> ultimately I think everybody only cares about what they care about. Right. Well, sometimes you could also make the argument that a certain degree of self-interest actually uh, has a lot of you know benefit. Mm-hmm. A person who is passionate about something, you can only be interested in what you're interested in. But if you're interested enough in something that you push your way through it, and there's a commonality of experience shared by a large demographic, you know, and you help yeah. other people by coming to personal discoveries and, and understanding of oneself. Yeah, I read a book about people like, uh, I don't know, about uh, Lincoln and Einstein and people like this. And what it said was a lot of them, one, they had a singular idea that they were obsessed with. Two, they have a support system of people that either agree with them, they can bounce ideas off of, they can become interactive with and and find out, you know, and they can, uh, you know, falsify their hypothesis with them. Everything. Just somebody that's so interested in what they're doing that it supports their growth in that area, no Mm -hmm. matter what it is. And... That's why I, you know, I can say, well, I'm very selfish about this. Well, no, I have to interact with people because somebody can tell me when I'm doing something wrong or inform me about something or I can inform them about something and they it lifts their boat and they can continue with whatever they're doing. That's what we're doing here, actually. Oh, yeah. Absolutely we are. Yeah. So this is why, you know, that's probably one of the main reasons why I do this show is because, one, I want to keep my finger in everything and, and hear what's going on and I like talking to people, but also um, I'm involved with a conspiracy with everybody I have on the show, just about, yeah. in trying to <laughs> yeah. trying to move this in a direction I think is interesting and they're, they're helping me do the same thing. So that's why I like having people like you guys on. And I'm sure we all have our own reasons for wanting to help. 
right. you know, move that forward. Like yeah, you said. everybody has a, they'll, you'll have out. a personal motivation, yeah. but if you're lucky, you find people who have some of the same motivations and then great things start to happen. I, I, I think one of the, the interesting things is one of you two who said it was that we're not into ufology to convince other people that UFOs are real. Like, if, if that's your reason for being interested in the topic, to convince someone of it, Eww. you're going to be miserable. <laughs> Absolutely miserable. And you're not going to get anywhere. That's a good point, Ryan. You know what I mean? We're in this to talk to one another, to share information, and say, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and educate like, ourselves. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and again, there is that that selfishness in that, that curiosity to want to find answers, but we might never find answers. You know, we, we had a few beers over dinner with, um, Mr. Benal and oh boy. <laughs> it was a, and in the midst of drinking, it was pretty sobering to hear, you know, what if we die and we don't know the truth? You know, we just lost the late Jim Mars and, oh, yeah. you know, he went to the grave not knowing, you know, we've had other people, we've had so many ufologists or UFO research researchers going to the grave not knowing. And I think we all sort of came to that conclusion, like, we probably won't ever no. know, um, but we're okay with that. Yeah. Like, like you said at the panel, it's the journey, it's not the destination. Oh, yeah. The weird thing is, Phil Class's infamous or famous curse, That's what I was thinking who of. you are, it's like, you will all die without knowing the answer to the UFO mystery. And people look at that as if that's a bad thing. Like, class certainly meant it as a bad thing. Yeah. To which I would say, no, that's cool. I'm good with that. Yeah. yeah like, I'm fine know, with it. You know what, class? So will you, motherfucker. <laughs> well, yeah, true enough. But I, you know, it's, it's, you know, for me, I don't need to know the answers. I, I honestly don't need to know if it was Mac Tony's the other night or if any of these things that I've experienced are, are what I might think they are. Because Holly or Dylan or whoever's on my crew or with me might think it's something else. And I'm not going to tell them they're wrong, and and they're not going to tell me I'm wrong. And we all take something out, which is something weird happened, and it means something to each of us maybe in different ways. And sometimes it means the same thing, too. So that's interesting as well. And, you know, you just kind of go home. I had to tell one cast member who we had to sort of um, let go from the show that because she couldn't handle it. She would, when the thing was over, she it, you'd find her crying and seeing things that weren't there, like a stove light would turn on and she'd think it was the spirit of her dead father or something. And I said, you have to be able, there's a point where you do it, but you also have to be able to walk away from it and realize there's a real world out there too that we're in, and this is maybe us contacting something bigger. Mm-hmm. But you, It's like a, it, it does have the potential, I've certainly seen this in ufology, but I've seen it now in the ghosty stuff, to be a bit of a, a, an abyss mm. or a whirlpool. Yeah. And if you get, or an event horizon, you do not want to get caught in the event horizon of the black hole, and you know you want to make sure yeah, you're still orbiting. That is a tough one. You're looking into the black hole. You can fire probes into the black hole and everything, but you don't want your starship sucked into the black hole. <laughs> and sometimes people do go, you know, a little too far, and it's like, you know, see ya, <laughs> you know, enjoy yeah. the trip. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of the. the uh, I was on that panel in Roswell, and they were saying, "Well, you know, how do you propose to you know communicate with whatever this is?" And I said. I, I think you should go and seek contact like, you know, like people might do with a Ouija board. I, I, I just because people, somebody on the panel said, I don't think you should be messing with this, whatever, whatever is causing the UFO thing. And I said, I'm going to be unpopular and say, yes, I think you do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and there was like an audible gasp. And I was like, well, 
and I brought up uh, Valet's quote, you can study volcanoes from 10 miles away, but you're never going to really know what a volcano is till you stand right next to it. Some people have to stand next to the volcano. Mm-hmm. Which um, you probably shouldn't do when it looks like it's about to erupt. Yeah, now it looks <laughs> so like it's you, about to erupt. If you see warning signals, it's time to leave the island. Yeah, exactly. In, in the same way that if you... If you Hopefully, you can tell when you're getting sucked in too much, and you just kind of go whoa, and you back off. Yeah, um, that's what I'm thinking. You know, for a UFO researcher who might be doing this kind of thing, and I'm, and the other thing that they should do. The other thing I was saying, they say, they were like, whoa, you know, what if anybody does this? I said anybody can't do this. Why do you think they sent Neil Armstrong to the moon? You and I, or you know, a friend of ours, probably couldn't have gone to the moon. We'd have freaked out. He could do it. He was that kind of person. He had the training. He knew what he was doing. He had a motivation to do it. He had a support system. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You, yeah. you have to have the mindset to do this kind of thing. And Paul and, and Holly and the people on the crew seem to have this kind of mindset. I wanted to actually emphasize when I, you know, when we were seeing the blue light about Mac and all that, I wasn't sitting there going, my God, we're talking to Mac Tonys. Yeah. I didn't think that while we were sitting there. I was thinking, this is interesting, <laughs> interesting if true. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is interesting. I wonder if it has something to do with Mac or if it has more to do with me and Paul or whatever energy we have going on. <laughs> or there might be something wrong with the REM pod. I don't yeah. know. Or it could be a trickster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the idea that there's some entity out there that uh, latches have... onto what you're thinking of and says, cool, I'll play this part. Yeah. yeah, today I had I had ten different models going through my head while we're doing this, and I didn't latch onto any of them, and I didn't care if any of them were true. <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of rolodexing. Could be this and this and this yeah. and this and this and this. Very interesting while it's going on. It could be this and this, and then it stopped, and I stopped the rolodex. <laughs> if, if one surefire thing came out of all this, I know, uh, you know, in my heart that. That will be the, the new podcast that the four of us start doing together. will be called Interesting If True. <laughs> Somewhere Nick Pope is going, wait, hold on. Uh, that Tr- was my podcast. <laughs> uh, interesting If True. But it's a good motto. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. Thanks. It really is. Yeah. Ander Sander. Can you ask Micah, please, about this mystery screws thing that he and Jim Harold keep talking up? I hope it's some new archaeological find. Ah, oh, well. I have. I do not know what he's talking about. Please explain. Yeah, mystery sure. screws. Yeah. Well, S C R E W S. Yeah, the mysteries cruise is uh, a cruise that I'm going to be doing. Oh, cruise. Yeah, yeah. It's a cruise that we're going to be doing. See, I heard screws too. Screws. Oh, so did I. Okay. Yeah, I was Get your this... minds out of the gutter. <laughs> this could be really. My really God, not... I am so offended. <laughs> Damn it, Ander! Why can't you spell that properly? <laughs> I am offended. Not at him. It's the three of you and your. Your gutter mouths, but no, get your mind out of gutter. It's mysteriescruise.com. The long and the short of this is, is you know, Jim Harold and I, we've off and on enjoyed doing podcasts together for a number of years, and so we're actually taking our shows to the seven seas, and we're going to be doing several days uh, at sea in November. Uh, it's going to be uh, Jim and I, and I'm going to be actually giving a full fledged. Uh, lecture. Uh, Jim's going to be doing like a live version of his popular Campfire podcast. Uh, I'm going to be doing a live episode of the Grayling Report. My co-host and cohort, Mr. Matt Oakley, is actually going to be joining me on this. Uh, one of the rare opportunities he gets to come out with me, and we're going to be doing the live show together there from the cruise Damn, ship. Damn, I also wanted to do a cruise. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, uh, yeah, I know. I've been trying to get like Greg on a cruise for forever. I've never been on a cruise ever, actually, for any reason. I thought, oh, if I can give a lecture on one, sure, I'll go on one. Exactly. That might be 
interesting, yeah. or I might be bored out of my mind. Well, actually, during a conference, it doesn't really matter where you are. It's the point of being well, with the people there and with the other researchers and, and that interaction. That, that's the important part. So why not have it on a boat? Absolutely. As it, long as it has skeet shooting off the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of fun. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, I've got to say, of course, the wonderful Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She's going to be joining us ah. on that. But that's uh, awesome. at mysteriescruise.com. That's what it is. As far as... The archaeology, I wish uh, this was like uh, one of the cruises we did last year where David Childress and uh, Mike Barra and I uh, went to, uh, yeah, we went to, uh, gosh, Lamanai and all these beautiful uh, ancient Mayan sites. It's no secret, archaeology is kind of my thing. And while we were doing the investigations there at the museum this weekend, I'm I'm over there like an idiot, you know, just poring over all of these beautiful Native American uh, artifacts, you know, everything from pottery shards to, uh, you know, arrowheads, spear points, things along these lines, pipes. Uh, you know, I'm just, people are like, what is that guy doing? And I realize, like, you're crazy if you have a, a real interest in this sort of stuff. But, you know, that's a real passion of mine. And I'm, you know, yeah. So, but I, with with history and archaeology in mind, of course, when we, uh, when we go down to Amber Cove and some of these more, like, resort islands, you know, and do the little excursions, I was looking at all the excursions for this trip and going, ah, you know, some of these look fun, but I'd really kind of like to assemble my own. Okay, here's an old, like, you know, 1500 Spanish fort. We'll go there. What? They're bioluminescent worms that actually hatch out on this part of the island three days after the full moon from May through September. I'm going to go there. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put together my own, you know, mysteries with uh, mysteries of the weird with, with Micah. Although I have to admit, I'm thinking about turning my own short excursions into the... Uh, Interesting, if true, excursion. Yeah. I'm just going to keep borrowing that. I, every time I hear Paul come up with a with a funny catchphrase, I have to like borrow them from him. Was, well, no, I stole that from Nick Pope. Yeah, well, so it's, that's Mick Pope's so catchphrase. Yeah. Now he's yeah. passing along to me, and somebody, one of you fine folks in the listening audience, maybe uh, uh, Anders Sanders. Is that that's not uh, R.W. Is it? Mm, no, nope, I don't think so. Yeah, well, either way, but yeah. So hopefully that answers the question. Mysteriescruise.com and. Uh, you know, and like you were saying, Greg. But the the fun thing is, anytime we can all share some time, some experience together. You know, whether it be on that kind of a trip or whether it be uh, at an event like this. Um, and the the real blessing here this last few days has been, in addition to the event and the people that were there. I mean, the four of us getting to go and uh, you know, I mean, Oak Island. You know, that that was like yeah, on the bucket crazy. list right there. Yeah. What? Oh, hold on. It looks like Paul has discovered Paul, something. Paul, what happened? One of Johnny Mars old Rickenbackers is. For sale, he Uh-oh. played it on Strange Ways. Here we come. Uh, it's fifty nine thousand dollars Canadian. Oh, well, you can afford that. That's fine. It, it, sure. it is down twenty six thousand from the original asking price of eighty five thousand. <laughs> okay, well, Paul, well, Paul better start an Indiegogo to get him that right Yeah, yes, that's <laughs> um, and, and get me some travel money for a conference or two. Yeah, Paul is human and he needs to be loved just like anybody else does. <laughs> yes, I'm the moon and the sky. And, what time do you guys have to wake up here to go to the airport? Oh, I gotta get up at the uh, five o'clock. Yeah, it is eleven thirty right now. Would you? It, it's only been an hour and a half, but I said we were only go for an hour, and you stayed for a lot longer than that. So maybe we can stop now. Uh, so you guys uh, and I actually, I'm leaving later, but I might have to go to the airport at the same time. Oh boy, <laughs> I'm not gonna um, do that to you. Get some airport breakfast. Yeah, our host Paul Kimball. Thank you so much, Paul. Oh. And, and uh, made this thing the most wonderful, smooth, completely worry-free um, experience for all of us, I think. Well, thanks to Linda Rafuse and the Crossover yes, Paranormal definitely. Society and the, uh, the Queens County Museum and Winterlight Productions as well, my um, 
business partners company who uh, helped sponsor this because for the last two years at least I've been able to bring Greg out twice or at least convince them to bring Greg out twice Aaron Aaron Gullius last year arm twisting Micah and Ryan this year cool people that I think Liverpool as you found out it's a small little town 2,000 people in the corner of Nova Scotia but people come in small crowds big crowds but they keep you know, they don't yell out when you're speaking like some of the bigger conferences in the U.S. do where they go, you're wrong, or, you know, no, it's reptoids, or whatever. They sit there politely to the point where all of us at some point or another go, are these people actually listening? Or do they hate us? I guarantee you, they're actually listening. They're listening, they're taking it in, and even when they disagree with you, being good Canadians, they'll walk out in the hall and politely, you know, nab you by the bathroom and say, listen, I have a photo, and, or whatever. So, yeah, thank yes, you, Linda, and everybody, did happen, yeah. uh, for the opportunity to bring these guys down, and uh, or up to Canada and then down to Liverpool. And hopefully there's a fourth one, uh, and we can do it all again. Yeah, I would love it. Looking forward to it. All right, there it is, guys. That is it for the roundtable. Again, I have to send my sincere thanks to Paul Kimball for inviting me to the conference to speak. Also, to Linda Rafuse the host of the East Coast Paracon. It was a little outside my wheelhouse, but I stumbled through and really learned a lot about the paranormal and what may lay just beyond the veil of what we see, smell, hear, and feel. I have no doubt that there are things out there happening all around us that we simply can't explain just yet. And perhaps one day, the paranormal will become normal. Please, check out all of these guys you heard tonight. If you live in Canada, Paul Kimball's new television series, Haunted, will be premiering soon. Greg's work can be found at RadioMysterioso.com. And Micah can be found at TheGrailianReport.com. As always, please rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps us gain new listeners and ask new questions. All past episodes can also be found at SomewhereInTheSkies.com. I'll see you next Monday. Remember... Keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. This has been a Third Kind production. To learn more, visit thirdkindproductions.com.